Welcome to selfdiscoveryradio.com where the orchard of wisdom is just ready for picking. We celebrate your why, the journey that you've taken that inspires someone else. We support your services. We support your story. Come and be our guest. Become a host. Be an author with us. Come see what we've got. Our next show is... Welcome back to another edition of Mental Awareness. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Steve Andrews. Steve was with us here a little while ago talking about the gifts of autism. Today, we're going to go and turn the knob slightly differently and go to depression. Now, depression at any time can be rather crippling. It is a very unreasonable um, state of being and uh, very hard to negotiate. But when you have autism as well, does that magnify it? He's written a beautiful piece here that I want to include. And it says, depression is a devious beast, masterful, cunning, and wild, seeking to obscure from afflicted the hope and joy for a while. Depression and autism, does it go hand in hand? Is it something that's always there? Or are we looking at it uh, from a totally different point of view? Let us dive right into this. And I please invite you to go back and listen to his story of how he discovered he was autistic, how it has become a gift. But as with every gift, there's always another side to the equation, as there is to just being a human being. And the other side of the equation, the dark times, the times that are troubled. How do you deal with it? You know, at any time, depression is hard to deal with. But with autism, how do you deal with it? We're going to be doing another um, spot in this series as well. But let's dive down this road. And a person who's suffered from depression and know how crippling it is and how unreasonable it is, it's um, not one of our favorite topics, is it, Steve? No, not necessarily. So is it different if you're an autistic person? Do you go through darker phases or is it just the way you cope with it is different? I think it is more prevalent in autistic folks. In fact, I'm trying to, I don't see the statistic offhand, but depression seems to be much more common with autistic folks along with uh, addiction, suicidal ideation, uh, anxiety, things like that. Mm, so the statistics are higher. Is that because the scoping skills are harder or is it because it's misunderstood in people? It's a lot of the latter. Autism is so misunderstood. Uh, there's so much stigma attached to it that there, is a, there can be a greater burden for autistic people in the world leading to depression. And I would imagine that perhaps the coping skills aren't the same um, because a state of autism sometimes can be highly stressful as it is. And, you know, just um, not being able to deal with the things that are around you, being you know, triggered more easily. So when you get into depression, it, it could be far more encompassing and um, much harder to deal with. Yeah, and a lot of, well, imagine you have, if you've ever been hungover or had a migraine, right? And so uh, the sensory experience is heightened, right? You're very sensitive to motion and movement and light and sound and social interactions are harder and thinking is harder. And, but imagine having that every day usually without the headache, but yes, <laughs> imagine having that every day and trying to go through life. And meanwhile, autism is so misunderstood. I mean, the CDC calls autism a set of behavior and social and communication challenges. And that's how the medical community views it. And that's the medical community comes along and says, okay, there's something broken. We have to fix it. That's the medical model. Right. Mm -hmm. And so every day, autistic kids and adults are hearing do this, don't do that, you're doing that wrong, uh, on and on and on with the negative comments. And after a while, there's a term I heard a while back that I love. It's, it's uh, devastated by disapproval. 
Oh, yeah, that is a very good term. Um, I don't care who you are, going through life where people are disapproving of you, you know, we're always looking to be seen, to be heard, to be validated for who we are. We're always telling everybody, step into yourself, own yourself, you know, do not let anybody else have influence of you. Yet we have a society that will dictate how you should be. And if you're different, therefore there is something wrong. Yeah. Um, Jian Fang Fang, a researcher and professor at UK's University of Warwick and uh, Fudan University in China, says that more than one in 10 people in their lifetime suffer from depression, a disease which is so common in modern society that we can even find the remains of Prozac in the tap water in London. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> ah, modern day society. Mm. You know, for all the advancements that we've made, we, we just all seem don't, we don't get it, do we? Um, we surround right. ourselves with things rather than the internalization of what we're meant to be doing. And that's an excellent point that we're going to get to in a bit. Uh, I've, I spent the majority of my life as a child and an adult depressed. So stemming from you know, early childhood into adulthood, I have spent the majority of my life depressed in one way or another. Um, and it's something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about as I, well, do too much with too many things. But from my perspective, I found uh, three different types of depression. Mm-hmm. The first one is the clinical depression. Right. Right. And a recent study has found two main areas of the brain affected in clinical depression. The first, and these are fun words, they're, they're fun to throw out at you know, a party or whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. The medial orbitofrontal cortex system, and that's what fires when we receive rewards. And what happens in depression is that that functional connectivity is reduced. So we don't get the same brain positive sensation that we normally do in receiving rewards. The second area affected is the lateral orbitofrontal cortex system, and it fires when we are punished. And that has increased functional connectivity and depression. And basically, depression turns down the, pre the pleasure and reward centers of the brain. It turns up the pain and punishment centers of the brain. I mean, that's... That's exactly what depression has felt like to me. I, I hear you on that one. I hear you on that one. It's, you know, turning down the pleasure one, you know, the reward one is um, you, you look at some people and they really are self-punishing and you go, but you've just achieved this and you've just achieved that. And we don't see the achievable. We just see what we've done wrong. And it's, it's so hard to reason with that. It's like, but I didn't do this or I didn't achieve that or I said this wrong or I said that wrong and that punishment you know, is the pain because you cannot see the celebration of your achievement. And uh, I didn't know this was a clinical side of things. I thought it was more of an emotional side of things, but um, clinical makes sense because again, it's not something you can reason with, is it? It's such a feeling that so overtakes you that you really honestly no amount of rationality will, will change your mind on that. Not at all. And especially because it also affects memory, making mm. it easier to recall negative memories, harder to recall positive memories. And, and it causes increased awareness of self. And so what happens is with combined with memory, then depression commonly increases a negative view of self and it leads to feeling numb and trapped and unfocused and disconnected. And it's not, a lack of willpower, it's not a lack of character. This is an actual neurobiological connectivity issue in the brain. Now, is this uh, something to do uh, with the development of the brain as a child? Is it something that's genetic? I mean, if, to become kind of clinically depressed where you're just not functioning there, do they know what causes it? Well, there's a couple of things we'll talk about. Yes, there is some research that suggests certain people have more of a genetic predisposition to depression than others. And certainly, as we're learning more and more about as the science advances, 
early childhood trauma can cause physical brain changes. And there's strong links between early childhood trauma and anxiety and depression and even inflammation and, uh, and um, whatnot within the body. Mm-hmm. Neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, parental loss. It affects the stress response system. And so it, it almost resets the baseline, right? Mm. So the baseline, or the natural baseline is, is much higher for that stress response system and also more susceptible to depression. So, you know, when we we look at everything in life, it always goes back to childhood, doesn't it? Um, You know, part of it is genetics. Most certainly is a a great deal of it is the nurturing, um, the environment that we're in. And, you know, we don't realize um, that if we're stressful parents, we're going to put that traumatic stress upon our children and you know when when you snap because you've had a bad day and the, the child gets blamed the child whether it's to blame or not will take it on yes. all of these little things become little traumas and uh, you know can't enjoy the pleasure you know like a kid winning a game can't enjoy the pleasure because you know it's um but you didn't do this. You only scored one goal and not three, you know. Uh, so when you're looking at it, it's it's layers upon layers, isn't it, that builds up and builds up because people always go, but how how did this happen? Where did this come from? Look at all the fragmentation of, of a child growing up and you'll see where the system, you know, stems from. Absolutely. We, we tend to think of trauma as one big giant event, mm-hmm. right? a soldier at war, a shell shock moment. But trauma can also be a lot of little events that add up, right, over time. Mm-hmm. And those things over time accumulate, but they can't be rationalized because you don't know where they come from. All you know is the feeling that you're in and you, and you don't know how or what or where, and it really doesn't matter where it came from. All you know that you're in it right now. So what do you do with it? You know, that's one of the problems. What do you do with it when you're in it? Oh, absolutely. And kids, their natural response to things is to assume that it's their fault. Yeah. Right. Whether it is or not, mom and dad might be getting divorced, but to them, it's their fault somehow. Yeah. But mom and dad mad. And so, yeah, they're separating because of, yeah. Again, the rationality of a child is not that of an adult, and adults like to impose their own rationale on a child, and uh, it, that is just, it cannot be. Yeah. Let's and interestingly, at, yeah, go ahead. interestingly enough, you know, they estimate that 65 to 80% of people who take antidepressants, so the common rationality is you're depressed, you go get antidepressants, you feel better but they find that 65 to 80% of people in antidepressants are depressed again within a year. So clearly they work for some people, but not for most. Yeah. I mean, for me, I just found I became a zombie. I mean, you know, everything came slow. <laughs> the speech, the, the fog brain, um, the, you know, feeling so lethargic um, yep. and, and I found that it kind of threw me more into depression because I felt frustration of just not being able to get up and go. Yeah. And there's even the, our, our mind starts wondering the same thing the child does, you know, oh, is this my fault? Am I broken? Mm-hmm. Am I just unfixable? Right. You've got the other extremes too, where um, I was put on a drug in South Africa that was kind of new to the field. And I actually, um, became suicidal in a different way. I didn't know I was suicidal. I just became such a risk taker. You know, I thought I could just fly off that mountain in my car hmm. and I would have wings, you know, the hallucination. And, uh, and just nothing was reality. It took me outside of things just thinking I could do things. And they actually had to take that drug off the market very quickly because people were killing themselves. And it wow. wasn't because they were depressed. <laughs> it was because they were on a high, you know, that uh, gave them no safety guard whatsoever. Mm. I happened to be very lucky because my dog saved my life. But other people were not so lucky. But what about those other, you know, yeah. 65 to 80% of people? Clearly, the, the medication isn't solving the root problem. Yeah. Right? And I've identified 
two other types of depression that I believe account for most de depressive episodes. Mm -hmm. and the first one is what I call exhaustion depression. Yes. And it's really having been too strong for too long. Oh, it's oh. where we are just physically, <laughs> cognitively, psychologically, emotionally exhausted. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not the clinical depression. It's not, I hate the world. I hate my life. It's that it's more of a, I don't want to see anything. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to think about anything. No one even think about me. And yeah. for me, I've definitely had those. And so I have blackout curtains. I have white noise machines. And I know when I hit that state, I just, I need to recharge. It's my body telling me. And, and frankly, it's my body escalating telling me that I need to take a break. And that's very hard for other people to understand, isn't it? Because, you know, well, what did I say? What did I do? You know, it's nothing you said or did. Right. This is just, you know, the reset button for us. You know, we, um, I like a lot of time to myself. I'm not antisocial. You know, this is my time to, to recharge, you know, um, to sever and, and go in and, as you say, replenish the soul because I know all about soul exhaustion. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's depleting. And, yeah. you know, you are tired all the time. You know, yeah. you're physically and emotionally and spiritually and in every way tired, just too tired to go on. Yet, you, you know, there's still demands on you. And you have to, at that point, say to people around you, I have to unplug and remove myself in order to replenish myself. Yeah, one great way I found to help explain it to folks is a gal by the name of Christine Miserandino came up with what's known as spoon theory. And the idea is that most people going throughout their day have enough energy to do pretty much whatever they want, mm -hmm. by and large. But certain folks, um, and she has lupus, and certain folks with autoimmune issues. Uh, fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia. And, and even we find it's very relevant within the autism space as well. Mm -hmm. We have a limited number of spoons. We have to be more cognizant about where we're expending our energy because we don't have unlimited energy buckets. We don't have unlimited spoons to go throughout our day. Yes. And if I'm not careful and I expend all my spoons, then I can end up in that exhaustion depression. Yeah, and that one is probably the top of my list of what I deal with. And I kind of look at it as, you know, when you have a, a tablet or a cell phone, and, you know, everything is still working fine, but the battery life is just not charging up as it used to. It doesn't yeah. hold a full charge. Well, that's me. I don't hold a full charge. You can plug me in for hours, but I will not fully charge ever. So it means I'm running on limited battery, which means that when I start feeling that exhaustion, I have to switch off and go and plug in and charge whatever I can. Because to allow yourself to get completely depleted, you know what it's like when you're trying to plug something in a game that's been completely drained dry. It takes so long to recharge. So yeah. you have to know your triggers and you have to know, uh-uh, warning signs, little red light is on. I've got to go and recharge, which means I have to switch off from everybody. And that's really where that, where, and this is a theme we'll talk about quite a bit, but self-kindness comes in. Mm -hmm. Because selfish and selfless are opposite ends of the same spectrum. And it's not good to be too far on either end, right? Yes. We have to keep our own cups filled up if we're going to keep pouring ourselves out. Absolutely. Uh, we need to, under, A, understand, like, I'm becoming more self-aware. And so I better understand my own signs that I'm approaching overwhelm and exhaustion and even shutdown. And, uh, you know, one of the crazy things I'll do is I'll start doing, uh, well, I get more finicky about things mm -hmm. like this thing's supposed to be there and I, I i've started to become more aware that when i get that way i need to check in and see how i'm doing i will also and this is kind of embarrassing but i will start doing really bad accents and impressions <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's innocuous it's 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 but i now know when i do that again i need to check in and say hey do i need to take a break am i doing okay Mm. You know, being kinder to ourselves with schedules. You know, I'm not going to schedule a speaking event five days in a row. 
Right. I know that I'll do five in one day. Well, maybe not five, but I'll do a bunch in one day or maybe over two days. But then I know on either end of that, I need a whole bunch of downtime. So so scheduling, being kinder even with my schedule. And one of the other things I've done is learn to better simplify and prioritize my life. As a really small example, I have one type of sock. And that means that I can go into my sock drawer and grab any two socks and they match. I don't have to expend any spoons on it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) It's a good point. Um, You know, this is something actually people don't understand, is it? Is that because, you know, um, a lot of people think disability is, you know, a limb missing or, you know, it's cancer, it's this, it's that, and, and people can see it. But when they can't see it, as they say, depression hurts, people don't see it. Um, right. And so therefore it's, oh, you know, just go and work out at the gym. You know, that works for me. Or you need to do this, or you need to do that. And you know, I actually had to say to someone the other day, and you need to respect that I actually know what my limitations are. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, it's I think I think this is goes for anything, autism, depression, anything. Please do not impose. You can say, look, this is what I do for myself. You know, is there anything that you can do that, you know, that would help you on that? But don't say all you have to do is that because you aren't in their body. You're not in their mind, the heart, the soul, the spirit. You're not there. You don't know what they're dealing with on every single moment of the day. So, yes, you can make a wonderful suggestion, but don't do it in the form of a dictation. Yeah, because it's usually not that simple. No. And chances are we've tried everything you can think of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And I think the biggest thing is, as you said, is knowing your triggers. Knowing, uh-oh, the exhaustion thing is up. You know, or I'm beginning to, you know, <laughs> speak in tongues, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know uh, um, running out of spoons. You know, the whole thing is know your triggers. Then honor yourself by pulling yourself out of the situation and saying, I'm plugging in and recharging. And, you know, and if people around you cannot honor that, then it's time to look at the people that are around you and start filtering them. That is true, too. Yes. And even, and, and then once you get to that point, even learning how you as a person, as an individual recharge. Yes. Because everyone recharges differently. Yeah. For me, I need lots of peace and quiet and dark. I need to be alone in my head, right? But not, not alone introspecting so much as one of the things I found that really helps me recharge is to read a book, to learn something new, to engage my brain in some intellectual exercise and that helps me feel more recharged because I can't, I've learned that I don't recharge asleep. No, no. And it's not as simple as just going and getting good sleep. That's great for the physical exhaustion, even the Mm -hmm. cognitive exhaustion, but that true exhaustion depression uh, needs awake recharge time. And so figuring out what it is that recharges us is equally critical. You know, I tell people that, you know, how I started off in in hosting shows was through uh, an article I wrote on depression. And somebody saw that and saw my site and said, I think you should have your own show. And, you know, I say the show came out of my depression because when I'm in that depression cycle, I need to go out there and be of purpose to someone. I've got to go out and help somebody else with somebody else's problem because it takes me away from my own um, and it gives me a reason for being because otherwise I go into that cycle of what am I worth well you know I'm a waste of space I shouldn't be here and so you know it's very very important I become proactive um, but for me now because I am doing the intellectual thing interviewing wonderful people like yourself um, in the day um, I've already got that stimulation so at night I go and plug in the TV and I watch something mindless. I'm switched off. I don't hear a thing going on in my head. Nothing at all. The moment the TV is off, I'm back to chatter. But when the TV is on, it takes me somewhere else. So it's actually a form of meditation for me because it's taking me out of myself. So there is no wrong or right way. We've just got to find the way that works for us. Yeah. And for me, I can't recharge. I don't recharge in front of the TV. It's a distraction but I don't actually recharge that way. Right. You so see, for you, you, exactly. And again, it's 
honor the person's journey. You know, they're not just doing it just to be in your face. They're doing it because they found out it works for them. Right. And that's the thing. We have to find out what works for us. And that means that you've got to try a few different things until you come up with that something that works for you. Now, I want to go to the social connection because yep. that's a big one, isn't it? Well, the big one I found that I think accounts for most depression is what I call a soul depression. Mm hmm. And I found that it's a lack of one or more of positive social connections in our lives, mm -hmm. a positive environment, a purpose, or identity. Yeah. And so the social connection belonging, there's, there's so much amazing research coming out now uh, about how important that social connection is in our lives. I mean, at our core, we as human beings crave that positive social connection we crave acceptance and belonging and mm -hmm. to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and when that's lacking there's a lot of challenges that can come as a result yeah so in the 1980s a psychologist professor of psychology named bruce alexander did an experiment called rat park and i'm a big fan of this but before him so back in the you know the say no to drugs days in the 70s and 80s yep. uh, we all saw the commercials um you know just say no to drugs not even once you know and what they did was they put a rat in a cage and it had two water bottles and one was just plain water and the other one was laced with heroin or cocaine and so the rat tried both attracted to the to the, the drugged bottle and overdosed and killed itself and repeated over and over and over again. And it, and it showed that, hey, if you do it once, you're gonna get addicted, it'll kill you, right? Right. But there was a big issue with that study that, that Bruce Alexander saw and he designed a second study. And what he did was he built a place called Rat Park. And it was this awesome little rat utopia with things to play on and things to climb and other rats to hang out with. And I mean, if you could design a rat heaven, he did his best to do that. Mm -hmm. And they put in the same two water bottles, one that was straight water, one that was laced with heroin or cocaine. All of the rats tried both bottles and they rejected the drugged water. Aha. He then took it a to do. He then took it a step further and alongside Rat Park, he had a single rat in a cage, completely isolated, no fun things to do, gave it the same two water bottles, waited until the rat was addicted and then transferred it to Rat Park. And while that rat went through withdrawals, that rat then rejected the drugged water, was hanging out with his buddies, drank the clean water. And I find it fascinating yes. that what if the drug is not the problem with addiction? Right. Right. What if it's a social connectivity problem? What if depression, addiction, anxiety, a lot of these things are more social ills than they are individual failures? Well, we all want to feel connected, don't we? You know, I mean, a lot of depression comes from this feeling of not being heard or being misunderstood or not feeling like you belong going back to that clinical thing you know not getting any pleasure because you just don't feel you're worthy of anything and that's where the soul really has to be connected we we need to know that we have a purpose there is a mission in life we're here for a reason and when you're amongst people where everybody is the village and helping one another and you know everybody is only as good as as the collective there you know, then we are actually in purpose. We are actually contributing. We're being a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And as living beings, all living beings, we all want to have a sense of that community, being a part of that village, having something to contribute. So depression isolates us. And of course, when you are depressed, you want to shut everything down and stay away from people, which is one of the worst things you can do. On the other hand, you don't need to be around people that are all happy, joyful, because that's too much. It's, yeah. you know, it's finding yeah. those people that can nurture you along the way there. But addiction is always systemic of some trauma that's happened. 
a feeling of disconnection, a feeling of unworthiness, um, a, a feeling of lack of purpose. And I think that is absolutely brilliant. I'm going to actually look this Rat Park thing up and see if there is a video or anything going to insert it because that is a, a brilliant demonstration of really summarizing what the, what the problem is. And really, the answer is we need to be there for each other because when we are, we don't need to go for those other substances. Indeed. And part of it, too, is also learning how to build our tribe, right? Yeah. yeah. Everyone we meet is not our tribe. Right. Everyone we can have a friendship with is not necessarily our tribe. Who are those people who, who are, are the sunshine to our flower, right? Who are the people that feed us, that build us up, that encourage us, that support us, that we enjoy being with, that kind of thing. And, you know, for autistic people, that's been a, that's a big challenge. You know, we do tend to have problems connecting with others and building friends, making friends, those kind of things. What I found most powerful for that, and I think this applies much broader than just the autism space, is when we start looking at gifts and strengths and talents. And I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but, you know, it was through my gifts and strengths and talents in computers where I found my first friends. Mm-hmm. Right. I found the developer community online and then a developer community offline and started speaking at events and meeting people. And but that was through my gifts and strengths and talents. And for so long, the autism story is focused almost entirely on the negatives, yes. on the challenges, the struggles and whatnot. But that's only half the story. And I think it's time we start telling the whole story. Yes, I mean, just one of the platforms I do here, the people that I have interviewed on, on autism, um, you know, has been the, the success stories, you know, um, David Snape, the DJ, um, huge following um, blogger and just very articulate, very supportive and, uh, you know, out there speaking to what he can do and supporting others. You know, somebody else has written a book, somebody else has now got a degree in, in, in artistry. The yeah. thing is, is all it is, is that you, you're just doing things in a different way, you know, coming at it from a, a different signal, a different channel, and that your channel may be a, a little more sensitive. I would say a lot more honest because with, um, with autism, you know your parameters that you need to deal with and what you need to do to honor your, your psyche, your soul, your spirit, where you function the best and you know where you don't. Most people will keep pushing themselves beyond their limits, not paying attention to the signs and the triggers and getting to that point of, you know, flopping over the edge because they haven't paid attention to those parameters. So, you know, we've all got those boundaries. And I think with autism, you just come across them a lot quicker than we do. Yeah. And that doesn't mean, you know, it's not true that every autistic person should be writing code. It's not true right. that every autistic person likes trains. We're all as unique as everyone else. But yes. I believe, and not just autistic people, all people, everyone has a intelligence, a gift, a strength, a talent that most other people do not. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of really getting in there and finding out what those, what those things are because that's where we all find friends and partners and careers and fulfillment in life. It's our little orchestra, isn't it? You know, you're playing the same music. You're on the same vibe. You're on the same wavelength. And you get in there and together, you know, you can really create, you know, so, some great tunes because you're in sync with each other. And, you know, uh, whether autistic or suffer from depression or, you know, are as happy as go lucky with nothing worrying you in the world. We all are looking for that that tribe, that team, that group of people that get us, that we feel safe in and that we feel that we can be interactive with. And I think you hit on a key word there is safe. Yeah. You know, whether we're talking about children and parenting or friendships as an adult, uh, you kind of know you're in your tribe when you feel safe. And I think that safety is so critical. There's a quote that's often misquoted that I love. Uh, the full quote is, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And so we've heard it said, blood is thicker than water, saying right. like family. But that's not actually what the original 
quote is. It's the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times, and I hope it is for most people that, you know, family is very close, Mm -hmm. right? But sometimes it's not. And sometimes you got to go find your tribe. Yes. Yes. And, And also, I think it's also, it's not one or the other. You know, um, oh, sure. I, you know, I have the, the blood connection with my family that resonates on a different vibration. Uh, you know, it's, it's a totally different song, so to speak. But I have the other tribe that, you know, plays with me on this higher elevation on a different frequency that my family can't. And I think it's just understanding when, when you're at, you know, a different playground, <laughs> you're going to play with different things. And uh, it's not, you know, neither one of them are wrong or right. It's just... Um, what's right for you with those people in that situation. And some of you have more freedom of being, but the others that love is still there, but just maybe the comprehension of who you are isn't, but that still doesn't mean you can't play in the love playground. Absolutely. Which is really, really important. Um, You know, you've got one here, we've got gifts and strengths and talents, which you talked about, but you know, this big thing called identity, you know, self-identity isn't everybody i mean this the whole channel thing here is called self-discovery we're all trying to discover who we are what we're here for what's our purpose what's our mission in life and uh, we can't go out and do what we want to do until we really know who we are but how much of our identity is governed by outside expectations as opposed to the identity of truly what we're here for well i think that Really quick before that uh, is environment as well. Right. And our home, our community, our work, the natural environment, the emotional environment we're in. You know, uh, I find autistic people tend to be more sensitive to those things. Mm-hmm. You know, what, and, and to turn it around, what is it that we dread or tolerate or kind of put up with, with it that we'd rather not? You know, right now I'm in the Pacific Northwest up near uh, Seattle, and this is where my soul calls home. I'm yeah. definitely a mountain person. I look outside and my eyes are just happy. Right. The color green and mountains and water. And, and sometimes we're in an environment that is not suitable to, our, to us. And that can lead to, to depression. Yeah. But I think one of the big ones, once we've talked about that, is then we get to identity. Mm-hmm. Right? And so identity depression combines a lot of this. And we can often see it when an identity changes, right? The kids move out of the house and it leads to sort of a parenting identity depression or we change jobs or careers. And a lot of times it's, you know, that identity change that can create a sort of short-term or even long-term depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also how we view ourselves, right? The stories we tell ourselves and how we frame the world in our mind. I mean, I lived with a negative inner voice for so much of my life and it framed the world negatively and me negatively. And I told myself horrible stories. Um, And certainly childhood trauma can make that more difficult as well. Yeah. Because it changes how we see ourselves and we treat ourselves. Uh, One pair of scientists, and I forget their names offhand, did a study and asked people how, how many of them could remember a specific instance of being comforted as a child. And not just that, oh yeah, I'm sure it happened, but a specific instance. And the vast majority couldn't. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a lot to do with, um, you know, because in my era, because I'm in my 60s, things like, you know, hugs and kids being on laps. Yes, it did happen, but it wasn't, you know, like my kids were kind of smothered, the arms around them, kissing and hugging them right up to teens, even now. <laughs> you know? yeah. that, that connection and that love is there and they know this is just mom. And, and you know, however much it be, oh, mom, they love it. You know, it's, it's the way mom connects. Um, but in a lot of societies, it's, you know, still the children should be seen and not heard. And, um, oh, you're a crybaby. There, there isn't anything of the taking a child into the arms and just comforting them. Um, and it's, it, it's nectar to the child. 
It's reassurance yeah. to the child. It feeds the child from the inside out. It strengthens the child. But there's somewhere along the line, it got to be this thing where it weakens the child. They need to toughen up. Yeah, and what that ends up doing is dismissing and invalidating how they feel. And yeah. it teaches them that their emotions aren't correct. They don't, you know, they feel less comfortable and sure of themselves. Uh, there's so many negative sides to that. Yeah, way too many. Uh, and that, you know, I, I often refer to societal's expectation because society has dictated the way you should be. You must look a certain way, behave a certain way, earn a certain amount, live in a certain place, drive a certain car. And everything is about making us into these humanoids, these droids. And, you know, it doesn't matter who's been trying to do this since the beginning of time. Right. We as human beings, you know, have fight back. And like, no, we want to be free to be. You know? Yeah, I like saying that the only normal people are those you don't know well enough. <laughs> yes. You know? yes. But identity depression can also happen when when we feel we can't be our true selves. Yes. Right. And we see this a lot in autism where folks mask their true selves to try and fit in, to try and meet other people's expectations of who they should be. And should is a very dangerous word. Yes. A very dangerous word. And, uh, um, you know, I gone through my entire life of everything I should be or a low expectation of what she can't be uh, because um, yeah. I, I did very minimal amount of schooling a very sickly child and considered a little bit out there and la la just hope she makes a good marriage and uh, but you know I'm a spiritual being I'm a channeler and it's people couldn't see me for who I was or, or what I was they could only see me for what I wasn't. And I think this is something that we, as a society, as a human society, we have to stop doing. Stop demanding something of somebody else that is not theirs to give. Start really opening up your eyes and see them for the gift that they are. Yeah. And that really brings back to the, the fourth item under soul depression, which is purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's an age-old question, what is the meaning of life, right? Yes. And everybody asks, what's the meaning of life? And it turns out we as human beings have this amazing propensity to overcomplicate and <laughs> sometimes oversimplify things. You know, it's yes. very hard to get it right on the head. Um, what I've found is that the meaning of life is actually very simple and it's universal to everyone. And it is simply to love and to mm -hmm. Love in the sense of having compassion and empathy for the well-being of others as much as our own. Yeah. There's a woman by the name of Bronnie Ware, who was a palliative care nurse in Australia. And she ended up writing a book about the top five regrets of the dying, right? And none of these regrets were, I wish I had conformed more, mm -hmm. or I wish I had done all the shoulds, yes. or I wish I had made more money, the top five regrets were that people weren't true to themselves, mm -hmm. that they had worked too hard, that they wished they had had the courage to express their feelings, that they'd stayed in touch with friends, that they had let themselves be happier. Yes. And so many of those regrets tie directly into relationships. Mm -hmm. you know, I think when we, when we get to that moment, all these things that we consider so important, the artificial boxes and boundaries that we place around ourselves just kind of melt away and we see it was, it was really those relationships that mattered. And the relationship with self. You know, it's, um, I think until you have a relationship with self, knowing who you are, loving who you are, for, who, for whom you are, it's very hard for you to have a true relationship with someone else. Because again, are you in a relationship with someone else to, to be what they want you to be? Or are you bringing your whole self to that relationship in order to let the relationship be what it can be? Yeah, absolutely. So we always go back to that self-discovery, knowing who you are, what is your purpose? Are you being honest to your own soul? And, you know, whether autism or depression or whatever it is, when we look down at the core denominator is every single person in this world wants someone to love and wants to be loved by someone. And that loving vibration is so healing. It is so meaningful. It is so purposeful. 
And it's only when you choose to step into that loving vibration do you understand the, the power that it has and the simplicity of that power. Yeah. And so, but when people ask about the meaning of life, what they're really asking is, what is my purpose? Mm -hmm. What's my mission? What do I do? How do I feel uh, fulfillment in life? You know, we all have that core desire to feel like what we're doing every day is meaningful, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that comes down to career. Maybe it's the career we're in isn't a good fit for our gifts and strengths and talents. Yeah. You know, maybe it's the individual workplace that's not a good fit for us. You know, uh, um, Simon Sinek does a lot of talks about the workplace, but he, he says one of the most important things in the workplace is to feel safe. Yes. When people feel safe, there's collaboration, there's cooperation. When they feel unsafe, we find a lot of the politics and infighting and protect my turf and my domain kind of behavior, yeah. right? And if we're more sensitive to that stuff, and maybe even if we're less sensitive to that stuff, it can be very destructive. We can end up feeling like we're not getting that meaning out of our work. We're just too busy in defense mode. Yeah. Yes. And really, if you really want to have a successful business, you really want to place the importance upon the people that are working there. Because the people that are working there, and if they feel safe, if they feel it's a home away from home, that the workforce is another family, not only will there be loyalty, there'll be more productivity. And if you're looking for profit, you'll have a great deal more profit because of it, because everybody is going to be there protecting that family. Um, if you make people feel like they're unappreciated, um, unwanted, or doing everything wrong, you've kind of built up a slave mentality. And that resentment is going to ricochet through everything they do. So it's um, the value of the people it becomes before the value of the profit. Yeah. Uh, Dan Pink, the author and career analyst, says that people need three things at work. Mastery, autonomy, and purpose mm -hmm. to what they're doing. But, you know, nearly everyone I know at some point has had an angst about their life, you know, yes. an unsettling, a, a, what am I supposed to do? Where's my place in the world? Um, and mine, for me, I had that my whole life, this churning in my gut. And for me, it kind of went away when I found my mission and purpose. Mm -hmm. But I think the answer here again is we, we find purpose and fulfillment through our gifts and strengths and talents. Yes. Right. The, uh, I saw a quote a while back. The things that excite you are not random. They are connected to your purpose. Follow them. Yeah. Yeah. I saved that out and printed it for the wall. But um, yes. Yes. And that's been true to you. You know, going back to identity, that's been true to your identity. Your identity are your gifts. They are your strengths. They are your talents. Yeah. They are your character. They, they are your purpose, your mission. And you create that environment, that social connection that honors your soul. And that's, you know, um, that is your identity. It's um, an understanding that gift must not be measured about somebody else's gift. It's the measurement is of yep. your contribution. Um, and there is no, you know, competition. <laughs> you know, it's collaboration right. and you're not competition. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as I, I said earlier that everyone has a intelligence, but I think everyone is a geek as well. And we kind of think of geek in terms of computer sense, but I mean, I know fashion geeks and veterinary geeks and, and everyone's kind of a geek about something. Yes. Right. And we all want that chance to make something of ourselves, to prove ourselves to, to go do. And I mean, for me, a lot of my, I mean, I've done reflection on this as well. You know, what, what are the things that get me excited? And it's things like, you know, I love connection and unity, right? Yes. Harmony yes, yes. and symmetry. I love humanizing people. Mm -hmm. I love process and organizing things. And these are all things that I can then take and say, you know, well, if someone's good at organization, I mean, every industry needs someone with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you, you know, some people will look at their gifts and their talents and go, but yeah, but where does it fit? Well, the moment you step into that gift and that talent, all of a sudden the floodgates open up of where that gift will go. And sure. you'll generally find it's far broader than you think it is. 
Sure. Maybe someone's a great guitar player. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go be a rock star, right? right? In fact, nearly no one ever becomes a rock star. It's very, very few. But there's so many industries even that need musicians. Yes. Right? It, it could be a studio musician or the soundtrack for a movie or a commercial or it could be uh, any number of things, right? Yeah, you might end up being the teacher sure. and, and we all need teachers. So it's, you know, it's, it's honoring, isn't it? It's honoring your gift. That was yeah. your divine purpose. That was the gift that was given to you by source, by Gus, you know, uh, God, universe, uh, spirit, which um, I love the terminology of. Um, that's what your DNA is, your purpose for being here. And when you step into it, that's when you really Put that spotlight on it and 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 you'll find your direction and that's also when a lot of that depression you know just starts falling away because you're in that purpose now that doesn't mean that you don't get dark days right. and that that goes back to the triggering you know the circling back to knowing your triggers knowing your battery your spoons you know how many you've used up you know your environment and always being uh, mindful and cognizant of of your limitations and don't beat yourself up because you have those limitations. Exactly. You give 150% of your gift, but you just maybe take longer to charge up or you need to take that downtime so that you can re, you know, revitalize. And that's important to know. Yeah. And then if we take meaning, right, to caring about the well-being of others and we combine that with purpose and a plan, that gives us a mission. Yes. Right. And, and when we get to the point of having that mission, uh, I found in lots of people that, like you said, that that depression just kind of falls away mm -hmm. when they found that thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's it's um, it just changes everything, you know. And again, it doesn't mean that you don't have the darker days, but it does mean that you're not going to go down the rabbit hole. Um, Sometimes there's you know, that clinical depression can come in too. And yes. it's nothing you've done wrong. It's nope. just, yeah, it happens. Right? Yeah. And that generally comes about when there is that exhaustion, you've overspent yourself. Yeah. Um, and you know, um, you know, that you, know, you talked about um, the value of self, you know, the, the importance of you is to make sure you are oxygenated, you are full because you can't give anything on empty, vastly different to the self-importance, which means you'll take from anybody at any cost. But it's very important that you place that value upon yourself and honor that. And yeah, it can be very hard to articulate. I can hear people saying right now, but yeah, what happens when you have kids? So, right. You know, or the husband wants this or this wants that. That is where communication comes in, where you have to sit down exactly. and communicate your boundaries because Everybody in that family has a limitation, has a boundary, has a time that they need to recharge. And if you recognize each other's uh, triggers, if you recognize the time that that person needs to step out and do that, you're honoring that family dynamics. And it means you can really enjoy the togetherness so much more and prevent the depression and prevent miscommunication. Um, and what a great know, way to teach kids about boundaries yes, as well. Yes. Yes, because you're not teaching uh, there's something wrong with you. You're not teaching uh, that, oh, this is, you know, a negative in the family. What you're teaching is this, that every single person has a limitation and a boundary and recognizing how far that person can go and that they now need time to do this or do that is teaching them to know their boundaries and their limitations and not living up to that social expectation of being more than what they are here to give and that's got nothing to do with us you know pushing ourselves we push ourselves to our limit but if we don't know our limit and we go over it that's when you step into the exhaustion or the frustration the depression and everything else so it's communication yeah. uh, is imperative yeah and i find if we don't take care of the social and the environmental and the purpose and the identity it can lead to that clinical depression right? Because yes. it increases the stress hormones in our body. It resets that baseline and it can prolong stress can have that. Um, it can alter brain chemistry. Right. Right. And, and there's a lot to this, as we've discussed, you know, it can be tough to tease it apart when you're, when you're in the mire, but 
but I, I think the important thing to take away is that, you know, depression is not a failure of will. It's not a defect of character. It's not a weakness of spirit. It's a kind of a sign that we've been too strong for too long, you know, maybe held our grievances too close and, and, and lost a sense of our autonomy. That's the f- foundation of ourselves. Yeah. Yes. The foundation of ourselves. I mean, I think that's, you know, knowing our core, our root, um, and, uh, and, you know, everybody, um, you know, has a purpose and, and has something to contribute in this world. And, you know, some people are maybe able to give more than others. And it's not measuring yourself against right. them, right? It's knowing your, what you're here to do. And that's the only thing you need to be responsible for is what are you here to do? Now, you've got tips for depression. So would you like to share some of those? Yeah. So, I mean, the question then becomes, you know, how do we get there from here? And for some, for some people, that answer does lie in, in medicine and science, right? For the exhaustion, I mean, it's resting. You know, as I've learned, especially as I've taken some time to myself here in the Pacific Northwest, I'm starting to learn to listen to my, my body better. I found it's telling me I'm tired. Yes, yes. <laughs> An awful lot. Uh, I think in the past 36 hours, I've slept like... Oh gosh, even less than that. I basically slept 16 out of 24. So I've been tired. Mm-hmm. The rest, you know, yep. fill, in, fill in those soul depression holes. Is it positive social connections? Is it a positive environment? Start exploring purpose and mission with gifts and strengths and talents. And, and then we get down to the self and that there's self-care and self-kindness and self-patience and self-forgiveness. I found that I think it's pretty universal that we're all way too hard on ourselves. Oh, yes, <laughs> most certainly. Um, yeah. And, and thusly others, you know, because I found as I've learned to be kinder to myself, it's helped me be kinder to the world. Mm-hmm. That's a huge one. You know, by being kinder to yourself, you're kinder to the world. Um, and also looking at the kindness of the world is also a reflection of, of that kindness coming back to you. It's that hug, isn't it? Yeah. And I think part of it too is really ignoring a lot of the messages that come from society. I went through a couple years where I didn't watch TV. Mm -hmm. And when I turned it back on and I saw commercials, I was blown away by the level of downright lies and manipulation. And it was unbelievable to hear these commercials telling me who I should be that I wasn't right? All those artificial boxes and boundaries. You know, I mean, if people could just be happy with their own bodies, entire yes. industries would go out of business. Yes. <laughs> yes, most certainly. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's uh, you're only going to be loved if you're this size, your hair is this color, you know, your boobs are that big, or you've got, you know, an eight pack for the guys, uh, or you drive this car, or you're this rich, you know, right. and it's like, if you're not happy, it's because you're not using the right type of toothpaste. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> and it's, uh, or eating the right kind of pizza. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, or, you know, the drug ads, you know, depression hurts. Um, but take this drug, the side effects of suicide. It's criminal. It is actually criminal. And, and this is where we need to step up and go, Okay, if that commercial says this drug could cause suicide, why would I take it? Right. Now, as an aside, and my girlfriend pointed this out to me, but you'll notice in the drug commercials, whenever they start talking about the side effects, mm-hmm. they will show happy, smiley people. Yes. They show these super happy, smiley scene that try and distract from all the awful things they're telling you. Right. Which they say very fast and very low. Yes. So you're not hearing it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is something that I don't care who you are or, or what your, your challenge is in life or whatever level. Um, we do have to take some ownership of our own choices and not give in to being sheeple. Uh, well, they said on the, you know, on the news or on the TV, um, you know, as, as somebody is constantly referring to fake news. Yeah, there is a big element of fakeness there. You've got to be discerning. You've got to be willing to research or read or, or listen to your inner gut of what is right and what is wrong. And don't just do it because somebody up there has said do it. Yeah. 
It also is hard because I think we've, I mean, honestly, I think we've created a society that is enormously more complicated than it should be. Yeah. So it's hard to research every single thing. Yes. But, you know, I, I do want to say, you know, for anyone who is listening, who is depressed, you know, you are not alone. You are not a failure. You are loved. You are worthy. You are enough. And in fact, I say those things to myself quite mm-hmm. a bit as kind of a, a meditative exercise. You know, I am not alone. I am not a failure. I am loved. I am worthy. I am enough. And I, I think it's, it can be really powerful just to tell ourselves that. Yes. Even if we don't necessarily believe it right away. The more you tell yourself, the more you're going to believe it. And, uh, you know, it will say, you know, it's good to write things down. You know, it's mm-hmm. by writing down what you don't want or, or what you, you think people perceive of you and then being honest, stepping into honesty and writing out what you, who you are, you know, what is your contribution, how you feel, what you love to do and start feeding that, feeding the love, feeding the passion. If you absolutely love, you know, puppy dogs or cats or things like this, then what can you do to step up and be a volunteer and do that? Because not only are you helping them out with the animals, but look what the animals are doing to you. They're going to raise that vibration. They're going to raise everything up in your body to this beautiful chemistry, good feeling that you can now take throughout everything else in your life. But we do have to be very purposeful on taking proaction that is going to benefit not just us, but someone else as well. Yeah. I'd also say that life is cyclical, right? Just because things are one way today does not mean they're going to be that way forever. Right. I mean, depression is a fantastical liar. And it's often important to remember not to believe everything we think or feel. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. If this too will pass, right? <laughs> life tends to be very cyclical. But at the same time, you know, depression is real. Yes. And, and you aren't weak. You know, don't minimize or invalidate the very real reality you're experiencing right now, right? Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't compare yourself to even non-depressed you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the old thing is don't beat yourself up, right? Yep. You know, it's, what is that going to achieve? So you're down, you know, so you're feeling sad and everything else. Okay, you've been here before. What are you going to do that's going to change your frequency? Uh, for me, music, you know, the headphones on, get on YouTube, find some music. And, and it's that frequency of that music that elevates me, that brings me back. Switch off to the world, into the music, and it just changes things for me. But I've got to remove myself from myself. Yep. Right? Because otherwise you're going to go in that spiral all the time and get worse and worse. So remove yourself from your dialogue. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's okay to say no to some things, to set those boundaries, like you said. You know, sometimes depression is simply having been too strong for too long. I hear that one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And you are not a failure for saying no. And you are not a a cruel or a bitch, you know. It's like you you will give what you can give. And because of who we are, what we're inclined to give too much is that, you know those triggers know those you know i'm running out of spoons you know and uh, how can you help anyone if you if you know you're in that rabbit hole again so that self care yeah. mind body spirit and soul is something that is necessary you know in in order to maintain your purpose even interrelationally you know there's yeah. all society loves to tell us all the uh, oh, that this partner does this, or that partner should do that, or and there's, and but they're the only rules and boundaries that constrain our relationship are the ones we decide for ourselves. Yes, all the rest of that stuff is garbage. Right, and and filter your chatter. Right, you know we we've got this chatter, and it's like, okay, hang on, I've, did I just hear what you said? Where did that come from? Where have you picked that up? How is that relevant to who we are and what we're doing? And I think sometimes we really have to have a damn good conversation with ourselves, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Because we're inclined to pick things up and then you hear, well, there's that voice in my head. <laughs> I don't want you to hear, exit now, delete. <laughs> 
we're clearly going to be doing a part three. And um, what what uh, avenue do you think that we should do on our next conversation? I think we're going to take this conversation because this conversation has looked at kind of taking this concept internally, mm -hmm. right, to the individual. I think in the next one, we're going to take it and look externally and say, conquer the, the enormous question that everyone has. How do I change the world? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we can change the world. We're mm -hmm. all capable of doing that. It's that collectiveness um, and, you know, people, oh, I'm just one person. Yeah, it takes one person um, and one person and one person. I call it the Netflix thing. Everybody's paying the same price, but look what you get. You know, it's uh, if everybody contributed, what a buffet we would have. <laughs> what a feast. So that's a good topic. So that will be our next topic, folks. But please go back and listen to his first show. Where he really does talk about discovering his autism, discovering the gift of it, you know, the, how, um, how he's lived his life not knowing until he did know um, and how it changed everything. And today, of course, has been about around depression and whether you're autistic or not, depression does hurt. And, and just if you are somebody who's autistic, you're probably a lot more sensitive to it than uh, mainstream. And so next thing is, what is your contribution to the world? How can you change it? Because we need you. The world needs you. And, uh, and you need to be a part of that because that goes back to that beautiful, meaningful purpose, your mission in life. What is your contribution that's going to make life better? This has been great, Steve. We've learned a great deal here today. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. And uh, until next time, folks, please uh, come back. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with, uh, with another show. Uh, as I said, go back and listen to his other show. Just put in Steve Andrews here in selfdiscoveryradio.com and you'll see his show. It's also on the listing. And um, please listen, share, have a conversation with other people. You know, we know that you have felt this way. We know that you need to know your boundaries and your parameters and your spoons, you know, when your battery is running out. And if you sit down with your family and your friends and you listen to this together and then you start talking with one another, then you could truly hear what it is that you need to hear. And that's when it, things start becoming resolved. Okay. So until next time, folks, bye for now. For more wonderful shows like this, please go to selfdiscoveryradio.com, podcast and see our lineup. And if you wish to support us, we have a funded button. Please stay tuned for our next show.